Hi, this is Trevor Jackson. Welcome to Tomorrow Is Mine. What's the difference between a tourist and a traveller? It's a distinction that's very important to Ingo Yanofsky. The well-travelled student has explored many countries, including Japan, New Zealand, Indonesia, Singapore, the United States, Spain, Greece, the Philippines, Laos, Malaysia, Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, South Korea and China. But it's Australia where he feels most fulfilled. This is Ingo's third stay in Australia. And with the extensive workout that he's given his passport over the years, it's not surprising that he's studying tourism here. A PhD in tourism at Griffith University. The shy boy who once dreamed of being a policeman had never envisaged life beyond his native Germany until he began to travel. A pursuit that not only broadened his mind, but was also the catalyst for a newfound confidence and maturity. It was also responsible for his keen interest in photography, a hobby that has begun to pay commercial dividends. And while Ingo's future may be as uncertain as the tourism industry thanks to the current global pandemic, the one thing he knows for sure is that the Gold Coast is exactly where he wants to be. Ingo, welcome to Tomorrow Is Mine, my first German student on the show. I can't believe it's taken me over a year to get a German student on the show, so thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Tell me a little bit about your life. Which part of Germany are you from? Uh, I'm from southern Germany, close to Stuttgart, which is about two hours away from Munich. Okay. Your life there, pretty conventional kind of suburban life, or was it rural? Or? Um... Suburban, I'd say, uh, mm. but not like it's not in a big city. So I'm I'm from a place called Sindelfingen. It's like the home of Mercedes. They have a factory there. So that's the most special thing about the place, I believe. And so I live in a kind of a suburb of that city. And the suburb itself is a bit outlying and it's relatively small, about maybe 12,000 people living there. And the city overall is about maybe around 80,000. So it's not a big place. And yeah, my, my childhood, I'd say, is relatively conventional. Yeah, nothing too special growing up. I mean, I had a great childhood. I have very supportive and loving parents. Yeah, but uh, nothing extraordinary happened, uh, I believe, in my childhood. Yeah, okay. The home of Mercedes. Well, I didn't know that was the case. It's interesting when you go to Germany, because Mercedes is seen as a luxury car, but you go to Germany and taxis are Mercedes, <laughs> like, or whatever. It's like, oh, really? <laughs> you know? That's right, yeah. So probably every second person in your hometown is driving a Merc, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure about that, but there are quite a few, more than you see here, obviously. Uh, lots of Mercedes's, uh, BMWs as well, because it's in Munich, the, the factory, and uh, quite popular. Some Porsche, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, yeah, Porsche. <laughs> Porsche, Porsche. yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So tell me then, when you were growing up, did you have any kind of ideas about what you wanted to do when you left school? What were your ambitions when you were younger? So as a child, I wanted to become a policeman. So that was very intriguing to me because I was always, always looking up to police whenever I saw them. I was like, okay, like be there for people, uh, help people. Yeah, that was quite appealing to me. And then after I finished high school, I still had the intention and I went through all these like physical tests like swimming and running in a certain time that you have to like pass in order to be eligible um, and then everything was fine except my right eye was a bit like not good enough they have certain limitations there as well and then basically the options were to get a laser operation to um, get it to the the right quality in terms of eyesight or to try again later at the age of 21 when the restrictions are lower but then I didn't really was too keen on the operation and just decided to uh, go with something else and looking back I think that was quite good because uh, you know I love traveling and if I would have become a policeman, I think I would be quite limited to Germany as, as such. True, yeah. So what did you do then? If you weren't accepted into the police force, what did you decide to do? 
So I wanted to, because I was interested in cars, I wanted to become or do a apprenticeship. I'm not sure about the English translation, but it's basically you work in a car dealership and you go around to different departments. So you're in sales, you're in bookkeeping, in stockkeeping, in where they do the administrative work, uh, service, all different things. And then at the same time, you go to a vocational school for a day or one and a half days a week. And you learn that profession. And then after you finish this apprenticeship, you can basically choose which area of the car dealership you'd be interested to work in. So I did that for two and a half years and then was interested to stay in sales. That was like the most interesting part. But I think maybe I wasn't quite mature enough yet or outgoing enough to be a salesman. And they probably recognized that and they didn't offer me that job. And they offered me an administrative role, which I wasn't really interested in. And by that time, however, my passion in traveling was already... Uh, it started. It started. <laughs> yeah, where yeah. did that come from? So during the apprenticeship, going to vocational school in, in Stuttgart in Germany, my head teacher, he introduced us to this student exchange opportunity. So he said, whoever's interested can apply. It's a 10-day exchange to the US. It's not a proper student exchange. It's more like a study trip, field mm. trip. It's in, in Michigan. So the first two nights would be in Chicago and then eight days staying with a host family in Michigan. And so I applied for that and got into that. And then... A very good friend of mine, he and his parents, they were living in the US at the time. And they told me that around that time, just before this study trip, they will travel around the Southwest for two weeks in a camper van. They asked me if I wanted to join them. So I did that. And all in all, I was there for three and a half weeks traveling the Southwest with them and then going on the student exchange. And that was a life changing experience. Yeah. So what, had you traveled much outside of Germany before then? A uh, little bit, but it's more like with my parents like family holidays always in Europe so this was the first time traveling outside of Europe and without my parents so beforehand we went to Austria to Spain to Greek typical like mass tourism kind of holiday staying in a hotel and which I enjoyed as a child but that didn't really got me into the the passion of traveling that I now have and it was that particular trip to the US that started it. Yeah did you get a sense that you didn't feel so much like a tourist as you had previously with your, your family and that this felt more real, that sense of getting a taste of the real world, not staying in resorts or... Definitely, definitely. And I think that's, to me, that's the difference between being a tourist and a traveller. As a tourist, that's what I associate with staying in a hotel and doing these kinds of package holidays. And travelling, to me, is different. It's like being more involved and immersed in the local culture, which I had in the US, staying with a local family, which are, have been amazing, so kind and, and hospital. And it was a fantastic experience. Yeah, Americans are very hospitable people. They love entertaining and looking after guests in their country. They love showing off their country. <laughs> they yeah. Do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you've done this exchange, a short little trip, and you go back to Germany. What's the thought process then? You're thinking, hang on, I don't really want to be doing this anymore. <laughs> so. In a way, yeah. So being in the US and experiencing all these amazing places and meeting these amazing people. The Southwest was always a dream of mine. Like as a little child, I had a photo book of national parks in the US and the Grand Canyon was quite prominent. I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> I want to go and see that. And that was part of the 14 days of traveling prior. And it was amazing. So yeah, coming back, I thought, okay, I want to do more of that. <laughs> I want to go again. So then I continued my apprenticeship at the car dealership. However, already having that thought in the back of my mind that I wanted to go out again and uh, see more of the world. Exactly. Yeah. So what did you do? After you'd finished your apprenticeship, what happened then? I didn't have too much money saved up because during the apprenticeship, you don't earn much. But then because of the experience in the US, I got interested in doing a working holiday. 
And I researched that a bit initially with the US in mind and learned that it's not really feasible to do it there. They had something like it, but limited to three months and only for students. Or, like, it was a bit weird. It oh, the visa proper, setup? Yeah. yeah, it wasn't yeah. a proper working holiday. But then during that research, I came across Australia. At the time, it was becoming increasingly popular. So since the millennium, since the year 2000, Australia and Germany have this agreement of doing working holidays. So I researched it and became interested and thought, okay, I'm going to go to Australia. And then I worked in retail for one and a half years, saved up money, then went to Australia. Came to Australia. So was that 2008? Is that right? That was 2007, yeah. So I was 2007, 2008. Yeah, right. Okay. And so... You said you did the research, but did you know much about Australia before that? Had that been on your radar at all? Uh, not prior to doing the research. And then, I mean, through once I got interested, I learned a bit more about this opportunity to do a working holiday here, which basically allows me to stay for up to 12 months and do any job that I, like any kind of work. So that was really enticing. And then, I, of course, because I was planning then to do it, I did a bit more research and, and like, yeah, learned a bit more about Australia. Working holiday, what kind of work did you do here? I was more holidaying than working, to be honest. So, but because at the time, good. I, then, I had saved up quite a bit of money. I never had that much money in my life when I came to Australia. So I, I really enjoyed that opportunity to not work as much and to mostly just experience the, the country and, and life here. So I arrived into Sydney, stayed there for a week and then traveled all over. And I did work. The first place I worked was volunteer work on a scuba diving boat off Cairns. So wow. I did a what is it called, open water diving certification. Yes, So right. it's a five-day course, right. two days of study, uh, mm. theoretical, mm. and then you go out on a boat and you're on the outer reef for three days, two nights. Had you dived before? No. It's amazing, was, isn't it? Yeah. It's a whole other world down there. It is. It's like you're on another planet. You just can't believe it. It's so peaceful and quiet and, you know, the coral and the fish, and, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's beautiful. fascinating. Really beautiful. What a great experience. So working yeah. in Cairns, yeah. Yeah, so after this doc- so everyone who did this five-day course, they said, okay, if you want to, you can stay on the boat for another week and just like help out in the kitchen and vacuum and stuff like that. And you get accommodation, food, and three dives a day on the Great Barrier Reef. So <laughs> who could say no to that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wonderful. In your travels around Australia, how long were you here for? A year and a half, did you say? Um, I was here for, like I was traveling for a year and nine and a half months of those I stayed in Australia. Wow, so, so you've probably seen more of the country than I have. So you, you get to see a fair bit of it? I would believe so, yeah. I think I'm quite fortunate in that way. And often I find that people who are from Australia, maybe they haven't seen as much of Australia than I have, and but then they have seen more of Europe than I have. For example, <laughs> you told me you've been traveling to Europe. Yeah, I've seen so, quite a bit of Europe. Yeah. yeah. I haven't traveled too much in Europe. So well, yeah, it's your own backyard. You can always do your own backyard later. You kind of take it for granted a little bit. So you have this massive experience. Now you've had like this extended, in inverted commas, working holiday in Australia. You go back to Germany then? What happens then? Yeah, yeah. So I was traveling for a year. I also worked in Darwin for a while and for a caravan company as a car detailer, I believe it's called, yeah. and, and worked in a camera shop uh, okay. in Darwin as well. Yeah, so after one year of traveling, I went back home. I also, during that time, experienced uh, Japan for the first time, went to New Zealand, Indonesia, and Singapore on the way back. Then back home, basically after a year of traveling, I was kind of fulfilled so i i saw everything and especially like the last weeks i was in western australia and seeing those beautiful places and i thought to myself well that's so beautiful the sunrise over the sea and i saw another turtle snorkeling and saw that and i was like thinking if people back home with my family could see that they'd be so amazed like i've seen so much in the past year and i guess i need to just reflect and go back home and I've, I've, now it's not so special to me anymore because i've experienced everything and then i went back home 
And after two weeks back home, which was great to see my family, to see my friends, I wanted to go again. <laughs> so, you yeah, got the bug. I, yeah, I did. So what happened is I went back to the same retail store that I worked at before for another year. I saved up money and I went traveling again. This time I, I applied for a working holiday in New Zealand and traveled to many different countries at the same time. <laughs> Because I was in Oceania and, and Australia and New Zealand, that was my base. And so Asia is quite like that close proximity from mm. there. So I always wanted to see a certain Asian country. So I took that opportunity and I, yeah, I traveled to, as I said before, Indonesia, Singapore, but also Malaysia, Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, the Philippines, Japan, South Korea, China. Wow. Okay. Yeah. A lot. Wow. What an experience. You mentioned that you worked in a camera shop in Darwin and you are a superb photographer. Where did this love of photography start? Was that going way back to your first trip to America or where did that come from? You are spot on. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So first of all, thanks for all the kind words. I'm glad you like my work. I do very much. Yeah, the photos are wonderful. Thank you. It was 2005 when I traveled to the US as part of this student exchange. And that's the first time when I like I've bought my first digital camera of Aldi, like a, like not nothing too fancy and then took many photos. And that was really igniting my passion for photography. And I loved it. And then Are you self-taught? Like, you got any kind of formal training? Or? No, I never did any photo course or anything like that. So, I mean, nowadays, because I'm so interested, or over the past decade, I believe I watched many videos on YouTube about photography and stuff, but I never formally did any education in it. Yeah, it's just like through travel photography, basically, that I got interested in it. And I've been going ever since and just love it. This whole love of photography just came out of your traveling and you obviously had a lot of opportunities to photograph these amazing things that you were seeing, sunsets, turtles, you know, yeah. wherever you were, street scenes in Asia, whatever it might be. So you just found that you were getting better at it. You're just kind of working out what worked, what didn't work. Yeah, it's, I guess, my own interest, but also the feedback that I get. So um, whenever after traveling, I come back home, I share the photos with my family, with friends, and they're like, wow, this is like really cool so that also of course fuels me and also like outside of traveling taking photos more often at social events or even formal events or just just for fun and now i just uh, you probably saw that on the instagram as well like started to take photos of strangers walking up to them and taking photos of them and their feedback is basically makes me happy because i i photograph also like a graduation ceremony recently for two of my friends and they look at the photos and They say, thank you so much. Like, these are amazing. And I'm so glad that we could do this. And that really brings a smile to my face and, and makes me happy if I can provide photos that capture a certain moment in time that's never coming back. And that's very important to people. And that fulfills me to do that. Well, let's talk about your photography. Your Instagram account is amazing. And some of the photos of people that you know, other students that model for you in particular shoots. But you also do a lot of photography with random strangers. What is it about photographing people in particular? Because portraits are really your thing. What is it about that that intrigues you so much? Before we started the podcast, I told you that for me, the best thing about traveling is meeting people. So I'm very passionate about meeting people from different cultural backgrounds. And I think that's really such a great learning experience, as you would know, doing what you're doing. And that's, that's what also um, triggers my interest to do what I do now with taking photos of strangers. So sometimes I, I walk here on the Gold Coast somewhere in the city and just encounter someone who looks very interesting. They could be either very appealing in terms of their physical appearance or they could just be interesting. Like they don't really have to be to look great, but maybe they wear something that's really interesting, their color combination or their accessories or whatever. Or it just looks like a cool personality, like, a, like the scenery around it. So a good example would be 
a very recent experience I had in uh, North Queensland of this traveler who was just cooking a meal in his the back of his caravan. And I thought, oh, like he has this cowboy hat and holes in his clothes, but cooks a really, really nice meal on this, like this, this stove with this fire underneath the, the cooking pot. And it just, it looks so cool as an environmental portrait. And so I walked past and then I saw him and I was like, wow, okay, that would be a cool photo. So I backtrack and I introduce myself and show him my Instagram and tell him what I do and ask him if it's okay to take his portrait and to share it. And most people are very open to that. Well, I wondered about that, the process, because I don't know, you know, as much as I love discovering people's stories, I've never walked up to a complete stranger and said, hey, uh, you look interesting, tell me a story. Is that what you normally do? You just walk up and say, I'm a very keen photographer, here's my Instagram account, you want to have a look? And is that usually the approach? That's what I learned to do now. So it started only, I only started this project uh, earlier this year. So I was traveling in Melbourne and the first person I talked to was this, he was a a very photogenic guy. He was a photographer himself. He had two cameras around his neck, uh, sitting there uh, on a bench in in Melbourne, eating something. And he looked like a National Geographic photographer. (laughs) He had also this typical hat and button up shirt. And he just looked the typical National Geographic photographer. So I was so intrigued. And then I'm very outgoing, but also I don't have so much confidence to approach complete strangers usually. But the camera was a bit of my excuse, like having the camera myself in my hand and then going to this guy who has cameras. I was like, oh, I'm also loving photography. I just saw you sitting there. Would you mind if I take your portrait? You look amazing. And he told me about his story, what he's doing in terms of photography. And that got it started. And Mm. then afterwards, it was more easy. Like the next day, I was hanging out in front of the State Library in Melbourne, just on the greenery there, and talked to a, a guy who has a Turkish background. And we just talked for an hour. He like just started a conversation. We were sitting next to each other. He was like, hey, where are you from? And then so we had a talk. And then afterwards, I told him that I love photography. I had my camera with me. I asked if I could take his photo. And so that was like the initial approach. But then now I'm doing it the way I just described with showing them my, my Instagram, because I think it might be a bit strange otherwise if I just tell them, oh, my name's Ingo, I'm doing photography. And then they might be a bit skeptical. Oh, that's a bit strange. So I'll show them and then they see and then, oh, yeah, okay, this is that's, yeah. that's quite cool. This guy knows what he's doing. Yeah, good photographer. <laughs> Some of these random strangers, there's one on the Gold Coast, Cowboy Don Tolman, this guy who's all in yellow. Tell me about him. What's his story? Why does he dress in yellow and who is he? Okay, so um, I was living in Surface Paradise for a while and I saw him quite frequently, especially on weekends. He seems to be out and about a lot uh, uh-huh. in Central Surface and... Because he's dressed all in yellow, he has yellow hat, yellow shirt, yellow shorts, yellow shoes, and even a yellow coffee mug when he sits there and drinks his coffee. So he just looks so interesting. And as someone who who likes photography, of course, I had to approach him. And uh, I think the first time I met him, I didn't even have my camera with me. I just chatted with him. And then I saw him again another time when I did have my camera. And then I was like, hey, Don, you may remember me. Is it okay for you if I take your photograph? I have my camera with you. And... um, he said, okay. So, and then afterwards I got his number or I gave him my card, my, like I have a, I made some like business cards and he added me on WhatsApp later on. And then I asked a few other questions to expand the story because I would like to not only post a photo, but also tell a little bit of a story about the, the people that I photograph. Then I asked him why yellow, because for some reason I failed to ask him in person. I don't know why, <laughs> because it's the obvious question, right? But yeah, he said for him, it's a very happy color and he likes wearing it and he also like connects it with being a protective color from radiation something around there because we have so much radiation here on the gold coast but yeah okay (laughs) yeah anyway it was an interesting story so yeah i shared it
He's American. Why did he come to the Gold Coast? Oh, so yeah, he's from Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, oh, yeah, in right. the US, yeah. So um, uh, some pretty weird characters out in Las Vegas if you've ever been there. Well, you probably have, having been to the Grand Canyon, but yeah, it's a pretty strange place. Yeah, I would agree to that. Maybe the reason is a bit strange why he was well, but he's a very approachable character. He's very super outgoing, super friendly, and uh, he introduced himself as Cowboy Don Tolman. And so there was this story about his grandfather, was it, that worked with Einstein or something? What's the story? Yeah, I would have to go back to my notes, but uh, something like that. So his grandfather, I believe he said, was developing uh, or working on a project with Albert Einstein. And he actually sent me a newspaper article showing his uncle and Albert Einstein. So, I, I mean, I didn't verify the authenticity or anything like that, but it looked pretty legit to me. So I was like, wow, okay, really? <laughs> uh, <I laughs> right. Just a, a, a very extraordinary uh, character. Yeah, definitely. They say a picture's worth a thousand words, and often, particularly with these random strangers, you've put these backstories with your photos on your Instagram account, which is great. You learn so much about them and in a similar way to people learn about the students who come onto this program. But sometimes you don't get that story. You just take a photo of someone. How do you as a photographer find a way to articulate their story just visually without having the opportunity to actually tell that story, which you often have to do? How do you do that? Oh, okay. Oh, good question. Um, I don't really have an answer to that, I believe. (laughs) It's just like sometimes the picture speaks for itself, I believe. And what I also appreciate is even if I don't have a very close connection, I always try to make the the subject or the the model uh, feel comfortable and that is really important to for them to open up and to show me a bit of their personality in the photo and I don't know really how I do that or if it's me or if it's just the people maybe they are so approachable and so open as part of their personality I don't know what the secret is okay I would wonder about this too and I'm glad you brought this up like when you've got a model and let's say it's someone you do know Mm. and you're asking them to model for you what kind of things do you say to them to get the results that you get. I mean, you're getting some extraordinary photos there. And you're asking someone to do things that perhaps they wouldn't ordinarily do in real life. So to get all those different facial expressions, all those different poses, some of them quite provocative, sometimes very coy, whatever it might be. How are you doing that? What do you say to them? So sometimes I do something like say something or I, it's mostly though, not so much about the posing, but about the environment. So I often see something and I say, wow, okay, this could be a great spot. Could you stand over there? And could you maybe raise your hand or lift up your head so that the light, like it's about the angles and it's about the the environment as well, the background and the photos. So whenever I see something interesting in terms of location, I try to get the the shot that I have in mind. And then often I think I'm very fortunate with my friends and models who, who did that for me because I guess we spend quite a bit of time. Usually it's not like a five minute job and then we get more familiar with time so for example the first time I I photographed some of my friends on campus it was three of them and they encouraged each other I had uh, one of my friends uh, Susant you may have known him he's a student ambassador this year he's from Nepal yes he is yeah and and he was such a great model like he I don't know how he does it but yeah he was amazing he's a real character though there's a lot of character there and I think that helps and that comes through in the photo for sure. And then yeah. the two girls who were with us as well for this shoot, they kind of got encouragement from him. And they were like, wow, you look so good when I shot them the photos. How do you do that? Oh, can you tell me like what to do? And then also he was in there. And then 
and now I took a few photos of my colleague Annie and she, because we did a few shots over time, she gets more comfortable and she sees the results and she's like, oh, that looks really cool. And now, so now whenever I'm out with her, she often poses like I don't have to do anything because she is getting wow. used to it and experienced and she's very good at it, obviously. Yeah. So yeah, I get it from what you're saying. I take it that you're, you're kind of learning yourself as you go. This is not something that you've been doing for a long time necessarily, but it's something that's evolving in terms of the kind of work you're doing, yeah? Exactly. If someone listening to this podcast thinks, you know, I want to be a better photographer, what's the one thing that you would say so that they could improve their photography? What's a really good piece of advice you'd give? I would say go out and shoot. Like, just experience, basically. You can watch as many YouTube tutorials and stuff, but you actually have to put it into practice and don't only learn theoretically, but go out and try it. And you see the results, right? So sometimes in the moment, I don't even see whether it's that great or not that great. But then afterwards, I look at the photos and I, th I reflect and I think, okay, I didn't see that this person did something that's distracting with her or his hands or something like that, or, or there's something in the background that is distracting. So I think, okay, next time you have to keep that in mind and really don't do the same error again. So I think practice, practice, practice is the one advice that I would give. Do you have to have a, like a digital SLR or can you just do it with a phone? Like, I mean, the technology is so sophisticated in phones these days with cameras. Can you be like a, an expert photographer or a very good photographer just using a phone, for instance? I would say so, yeah. As you say, like the computational photography that we now have in modern smartphones, it's quite phenomenal. And depending on the... The situation, what kind of photo you want to achieve, sometimes the result from a phone could be better than a traditional camera because of this computational photography and the algorithms. So it really depends. For some instances, for some areas of photography, you can't do it with a phone. If you want to do sports, if you want to do particularly low-level shooting, then you need a, a bigger sensor because the sensor size of those cameras is pretty tiny in the phones. But what they do is um, with the phones, if you take a photo, the phone actually takes several photos and combines them and then produces one good quality photo out of these several exposures. So it's uh, taking like several photos like in a microsecond each or something and then compositing exactly. them. So the readout right. speeds of those sensors is quite fast nowadays. So it so before you press the shutter, once you open the camera app, the, the phone starts taking photos. And when you press the shutter, it combines like the first, like maybe half a second before you press and, and after and, and takes several photos and then combines it. And that's how those results are, wow, are achieved. Amazing. And this technology hasn't really come into traditional cameras. So that's why sometimes you can get even better results with phones nowadays, which is pretty amazing. That's extraordinary. It will tickle down, I believe. But yeah, so I'd say for sure, if you want to do something like taking portraits of, of people, for example, or like stationary, like maybe landscapes, you can do that with a phone. Um, there are some pros and cons to both forms of photography, I believe. But for sure, yeah, mm. I'd say you can do that. Yeah, right. We kind of got sidetracked a little bit talking about photography. I just want to find out what happened after you did that second working holiday in New Zealand and you were exploring Asia and, and Oceania. Did you go back to Germany again then and back to another nine-to-five job and then suddenly thinking, hmm... I don't really want to do this. What did you do? What happened? Yeah. It was about 10 months of traveling that second time. And then I went back home and I thought, okay, I can't go on like this forever. I have to do something proper with my life in a way. <laughs> so what I did um, before I started all this and started the apprenticeship, I finished the second level of high school in Germany. So in, in Germany, we have three different levels of high school, so to speak, lower, middle and upper one. And only the, the highest one gets you into university. And I was interested in thinking about studying at university. So what I did after the second trip, when I came back in 2010, I believe it was, I 
went back to high school for one year. It's not a proper high school. It's like a specialized one-year program with an economics major that then gives me the qualification to start studying at uni. So I did that. I was a bit skeptical at first because I've been away from school for quite some time and I never really liked school up to that point. But that year of school was actually amazing. I had The discipline was there, everything, yeah. yeah. As a mature age student, you appreciated it more. And you exactly. had a goal. That's the thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes. I had a goal. I was more mature. I was really interested. The teachers were amazing. My classmates were great. I was the class representative as well at the time. And I had such good grades as well, like for the first time in my life. And I was like, wow, this is great. I can do this. And yeah, yeah I, had a, I had a great time. So do you think all of that traveling had matured you as a yeah, person that you sure. saw the world in a whole different light your whole perspective on everything can change travel does really does broaden the mind doesn't it for sure no i think that's exactly it yeah i was not so outgoing before and not so self-confident i'd say before i had all these travel experiences but through these experiences and learning through them uh, learning from other people i think that really changed me and made me much more mature and and confident yeah so what did you do at uni what did you want to go and study so after this year of school, when I looked at different degrees, I was considering three different types of degrees. Tourism, because of my passion for traveling, uh, journalism and sports. And then uh, eventually I, I did some research, different universities, and decided to apply for three different universities for tourism management. And then accepted one offer uh, in Germany, in Bremen, which is in the north of Germany and uh, did a bachelor degree in international tourism management. And so how, from there, did you find yourself on the Gold Coast? How did you come here? <laughs> so during that bachelor degree, we had a compulsory year abroad, and I spent one year on the Sunshine Coast here in Australia. So that was the second time I was in Australia for a long period of time after my working holiday. And both instances, I had the time of my life. I really enjoyed being in Australia. So after I graduated from the bachelor degree, I was kind of looking at opportunities to maybe study or return to, to Australia. And then with the master's degrees, I don't know, like they, they, the costs are pretty high, as you know, for international students. And I didn't really find an opportunity to get back for a master's. So I decided to do a master's degree in Austria, neighboring Germany, and just about a five-hour drive from my hometown, actually, in a, a city called Innsbruck. And so I did the master's degree there, a two-year degree. And as part of that, I went to Hong Kong for an exchange semester, which again was an amazing international experience. And then upon graduation from that, I wanted to find an opportunity to go back to Australia. Still, still <laughs> did different research, looks for, for jobs, but it's very hard, you know, from the other end of the world, not having a visa to find employment opportunity, a sponsorship. Basically impossible if people don't know you in person and you're sitting in Germany, why would they hire you over someone who's available here hmm. and eligible to work in the first place? So... Uh, that wasn't really an option. Uh, and then I went to an, like an information session of a company in Germany that helps German students to go overseas to Australia and New Zealand to study. And I got some information about doing a PhD. And I didn't really th consider that because I thought probably my chances are very low to get a PhD offer or a scholarship, which I would need financially to be able to come here. But this company encouraged me and they said, look, if you have really good grades from the master degree, good letter of motivation, uh, good referees and everything that comes together in an application for a PhD, you should try, like you can't lose. And then I did and here I am. So I, I'm with Griffith studying a PhD in tourism uh, on a full scholarship. Here you are. So why Griffith? Why here? Why not back to the Sunshine Coast or Sydney or Melbourne or somewhere else? Why here? I considered a number of universities in Australia. I looked at a university in Melbourne. I looked at USC on the Sunshine Coast as well and James Cook University up north and Griffith and Bond University as well. And then it really came down to 
mostly the supervisors. So when you're considering a PhD, the first thing you do is you look for appropriate supervisors in your field of research or your field of interest. And my two supervisors that I have here, they are very knowledgeable and experienced in the area of tourism research that I'm doing. So there was the perfect match. And also because it's close to the Sunshine Coast and the area that I know in Australia that I came to love, I went for it. And then USC, I also applied, but the person I was looking at to be my supervisor, she didn't seem to be too enthusiastic and supportive in her response to my inquiry. So here I had a very different experience and Bond was also on my radar and I also got an offer from them, but it wasn't a full scholarship. And then there were different considerations, but ultimately, supervisors and the full scholarship offer is what got me here and so, I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> I'm pleased to hear that. So what is your field of research? What are you studying for this PhD? I'm looking at cross-cultural consumer perceptions towards adventure tourism. With my research, I want to find out what youth consumers from Australia, mainland China and Germany associate with adventure tourism because what's adventurous for you may not be adventurous for me or the other way around. So I want to find out about that and what influences their decision-making and how that is related to their culture, whether culture influences those perceptions and needs and wants from an adventure tourism experience. All right, fine. But you've got your degree, you've got your master's, you're now doing your PhD. Where is all this leading? What do you actually want to do? With all of these qualifications, okay, I get it, tourism, but where? How? What? Oh dear, Trevor, that's a good question. Um, You're going to tell me you haven't thought this through yet. You're just happy to be here, right? Basically, that's it. So I admire people who know exactly what they want to do, but I'm not one of them. So I do have passions and interests, and I know what I don't want. So now, for example, the PhD allows me to be here, and I, I wanted to return to Australia. I love life here. I love everything around my PhD, but I'm not too passionate about research. It's not really for me long term. So... I'm not looking to do a traditional like postdoc position, which is like a research-based position after I graduate. But I could see myself, if I stay in academia, to do some teaching. If I find an interesting course that I would be able to teach at a university, that'd be very interesting. However, at the moment, the landscape with COVID and everything, it's quite limited in terms of opportunities. So I have to wait and see. Other things that might be an option would be destination management. So maybe working for a destination could be a country like Australia, Tourism Australia, could be City of Gold Coast, could be Queensland, then promoting that destination. And especially if that position could allow me to travel, uh, that'd, be, <laughs> that'd yes. be amazing. All right, I get it. Um, the last thing that I'm thinking about is to try to make a living out of my passion for photography. And I've, of course, that's totally unrelated to the PhD. <laughs> well, no, but I was going to ask you about that because I was kind of curious that you're doing this PhD in tourism and I understand why. But given that, you know, how good you are as a photographer and your obvious passion for it, why not pursue a career as a photographer? Or are you? Or it's kind of like, it's a bit of both. It's a hobby that's consuming more and more of your life. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'd love to, but it's, it's difficult, I guess, to really make a living out of it. For example, my dream job would probably be to be a travel photographer, to go travel and to finance my travel through photography, maybe also some writing. But so many people want to do that nowadays. There's so many people doing vlogging, blogging about their travels and doing these kinds of things. And it's very hard, I believe, to get into it and to really earn money with it. So now, because I kept up with my photography and I kept doing it, over the past year, one and a half years, it's actually, I got the first paid jobs, which is only small projects. But, you know, I, I photographed a graduation there for a friend. I, I very recently did a boat photography shot for our former head of department in the tourism department of Griffith. He retired and he now has his own boat tour business here on the Gold Coast, private charters. And so I, I helped him out doing that and I earned some money through that. So 
He just I, knew that you were a keen photographer and offered you the job, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It was just over, like, we had some drinks with the department at Unibar, and he said, like, I'm starting this business. Would you want to take photos for me? And, yeah, so I guess it's good that I keep pursuing it and sharing it, and then people get get interested. And then recently also there was a birthday party of friends of mine, international students at Griffith, and they approached me and asked me, could you take photos for us? And they paid me a little bit of money for it. So, yeah. It's good. So where do you see the future? You love Australia. This is your third time here. Mm. You talked about potentially staying on here, but you also want to travel. And in the COVID world, obviously, there's so much that's unpredictable and who knows when we'll be able to move freely again. But ideally, are you thinking that whatever happens that you want to base yourself here with the potential opportunities to travel abroad, but using this as your base, is that what you're thinking? Yeah, I think so. So it depends on many different factors like job opportunities, my life situation in terms of relationship status. If I have the opportunity to to stay here and have a job, or maybe I have to go elsewhere for a job, there's many different influencing factors, I'd say, but I do love life here, and I could definitely see myself staying here for a while. But having said that, I'm also, usually when I live in one place for a number of years, three, four years, I'm happy to move on and to explore a new place. So, for example, I'm not interested at this stage in my life to return back home. I miss home. I would like to go back to see friends and family, but I'm not thinking of moving back to Germany long-term at this stage. So I could see myself staying in Australia or maybe going elsewhere if the circumstances are right. I would like to, after I graduate, I think I would like to try to get permanent residency so that I, even if I go overseas, that I would have the opportunity to come back because I like it so much. You always got the option, yeah. 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 What do you love most about living and studying on the Gold Coast then? What's the best thing about living here? What I like about Australia, it's many things coming together. It's the lifestyle as such. So I think compared to Germany and many other countries in the world, it's quite a laid back lifestyle here. People value, uh, and I, I listen to some podcasts and people say that over and over again, but it's really like that, like people value life and, and they want to be happy. And it's not so much a pursuit of career so much, or, or maybe that's not the right way to put it, but it, there's, a, there's an emphasis on lifestyle and, and leading a happy life in Australia, I believe. And it's quite a relaxed lifestyle, laid back attitude. I love the beach and the sea. I love the climate here. I'm not much of a winter person. So um, that's one of the reasons why I'm here. And uh, I just feel more free here in Australia. So for a man as well-traveled as you are, who spent a lot of time in tertiary institutions later on as a mature age student, as it's turned out, I'm curious to know, if there is one thing that you could change about the world, what would it be? Wow, okay, that's a that's an interesting question. I know, I'm putting you on the spot there, but you're a man who's well-travelled, you like to speak to people, you like to discover the stories behind their lives. You know, from all that you've seen, all that you've learned, everywhere you've been in this world, what would you change if you could change something? I think, and that's what I experienced myself, that travelling really... What's the, the, that's the quote, famous quote, I think, travel is the enemy of prejudice or something like that so people have those stereotypes of people and you know there's so much tension going on politically also in the world between certain countries and then there's the the certain country maybe in their media they portray another country as very in a very negative way and that then rises like negative sentiments in the country and with their citizens and then people you know just an example between historically between china and japan there's a lot of tension there still mm. going on political tension historical tension and then in germany back home we have exchange students from all over the world here we have exchange students from all over the world or international students and then they come together and they get to know each other and they learn that this is a human person like they are not different to us and they are so kind so nice so i think what i would want 
in terms of change for the world is to have less negative sentiments or, or stereotypes towards other people from other countries, but for them to come together. And for me, like my dream would be that there would, it's very philosophical, I believe, but that there were no borders in the world, that we would live as one. There would be no, you know, no war certainly, but also just cooperation and just passion and support between each other. It's starting to sound like John Lennon's Imagine now. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Oh, I love that song. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Exactly. Hey, uh, one of the things that I've noticed in your post is that you sometimes include a quote. You've quoted anything from Jack Kerouac mm. on the road to poetry sometimes. It gives me the impression that there's a very philosophical mind at work here with you and about the experiences not only you've had personally but that you've also discovered through other people's lives, through photographing them and hearing their stories. Do you see yourself as a very philosophical kind of person or what's the thinking behind including those kind of quotes or poetry in your work? I think I can get philosophical and reflective at times, depending on life circumstances and uh, how I feel. And then in those times when I feel like that, then I like to think about putting some words down. It's not very often that it happens, but yeah, sometimes I think instances I'm quite philosophical. Not all the time, but sometimes. Does that mean that you hope that others would see perhaps a different perspective from your photographic work, including those kinds of quotes or poems or whatever it might be in, with your photos? Yeah, I hope to with that to inspire them and to have them think like for example I remember one kind of poem that's about just basically living your life and not being limited by the expectations of society I think everyone should just strive for their goals and their dreams and uh, don't really as you would experience in your podcast and I listen to some of them there are certain expectations in certain cultures of doing something and something like it's the conventional way and that's the right way and then I try to maybe also encourage people to not follow the traditional path like so many others have done and to do something that they want to do and follow their passion. Ingo says the magic of photography is its capacity to capture moments in time. But I wonder whether all of the many fleeting moments he's captured as a seasoned traveller have also influenced his own nature in that he feels such a compelling need to want to make travelling a key part of his future career. And while Ingo says it would be ideal to travel the world sharing his adventures for a career, even if all the international borders were open and he was free to go wherever he pleased, as he says, the world of travel blogging is a crowded one. And as a means of financing your needs, that ship may well have long sailed. But as we begin to travel once again with greater certainty, It'll be really interesting to see what opportunities present themselves for Ingo, particularly given his talent for photography and the increasingly blurred lines between work, pleasure and personal, as our dependence on digital technology continues to increase its presence in our daily lives. If you're looking for Ingo's photography, you'll find it easily on Instagram or through his website, ingojanofsky.com. So give him some love and... Let him know if you like his work. And while you're at it, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can give us a little love too. You'll find the other episodes in this series at www.studygoldcoast.org.au slash podcast. Make sure you check them out. My name is Trevor Jackson, and I'll catch you next time for Tomorrow Is Mine.